Hi, welcome to Which Witch is Witch, a pop culture podcast about ladies who use magic. I'm Regina. And I'm Derek. And today we are going to be talking about witches of darkness and light. And that works on multiple levels. So we'll just get right into it and figure it out. Regina, tell me about the witch that you would like to talk about today. I'm going to tell you kind of a spooky witch story today. Because I'm going to tell you about Jane Doe from the autopsy of Jane Doe. When a mysterious and unidentified woman's corpse ends up at a father-son coroner's office, strange things begin to happen. The father and son, Tommy and Austin respectively, work together to identify the cause of her death, and as they dig deeper, literally, into her body, they find unsettling traumas and violence done to her that isn't apparent on her skin. They come to the conclusion that she was treated as a witch and through violence done to her created a kind of malevolent spirit or made her into a witch when she probably started out as just an innocent woman. As they discover this piece by piece, she was bound, tortured, tongue cut out, stuffed with herbs, made to swallow a paper with a magical spell from Leviticus on it. She begins to use her magic. She reanimates corpses, changes the weather, plays a super creepy, yet happy song, and makes them kill Austin's girlfriend, makes Austin kill Tommy, and kills Austin through startling him and making him fall over a railing to his demise. The film ends with everyone dead, and Jane reformed back to an uncut corpse. The police survey the carnage and ship Jane to the next coroner's office, presumably to start her magic again. So that's a lot. Yeah. And it's also real, real heavy. Yeah, she's dead the whole time. She's dead the whole time. The whole time. That's, um, I'm going to need a minute to process this. So so while I'm (laughs) swallowing all of my bodily fluids back into my body again... Can and a just... paper with a magic spell from Leviticus on it. Okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna gag now. Uh, <laughs> can you just uh, start our start our rules of witchiness by telling me? <laughs> oh God, just everything in my body is is on fire. Um, can you tell me? Is... They set her on fire too. Oh, everything is. <laughs> the, the spiders under my skin. Just don't oh. don't tell me if that. There weren't any spiders. There was a cat though. Oh, There's thank good. A, a trauma all of my own. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, according to the first rule of witchiness, is Jane Doe identifiable as female? Yes. And, oh, man, is it such an interesting part of this film. Because, you know, she's she's dead. And you have a very unsettling relationship to her femaleness. You watch this film... When you keep thinking there's going to be some sort of gratuitous sexual treatment or shot of her because she is very Western conventional, attractive woman and naked most of the time. But there, there isn't any of that at all. There's this really interesting disconnect between her existence as a woman and her cis female body. And it isn't until they dig, literally, as I mentioned before, into her body that they get the story of her as a woman. A violent, upsetting, and ultimately magical story. She never moves or gets up in the film, which I love because you keep expecting her to. P.S. The tagline for this movie is, Everybody has a secret? Well done, marketing. That is... An upsettingly clever turn of phrase. Right? Yeah. It's really good. 
I'm sort of proud of them for that. That's good. I know. They did such a good job. Good job, you guys. That's also, I, it's, it is uplifting to hear that at no point is she explicitly sexualized. I'm sure on camera She's there's not. some male gaze happening probably, but it's nice to hear. In so much that all film slash everything that you see is kind of filtered through male gaze because we live in a patriarchy, whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. She's this beautiful lady, and she is undergoing this autopsy, right? So she's naked on this metal slab. And as I said, she's very Western conventional attractive. So there are shots that you feel like they could edge into that creepy, like, are we objectifying her in a uncomfortable way territory but it doesn't it doesn't really happen and her body is she's so expressive actually the actress who plays um Jane in the film was a yoga instructor I think and she developed some kind of like really cool shallow breathing technique so she could just lay there for long periods of time and like as they move her body she's like emoting very subtly while also like not moving at all it's so cool well that makes me kind of want to see her performance but everything you said before that makes me not (laughs) my favorite thing is covering horror movies because i know you really really don't like i don't want to touch it i don't want it it makes me so icky yeah this this is the fun part of the podcast regina is sharing because it's caring (laughs) sharing sharing is caring so can you tell me according to the second rule of witchiness how jane practices magic if at all yeah so she practices magic and it's from From beyond beyond the grave she reanimates corpses she changes the weather in their little microcosm that they're in she causes visions and in one memorable scene Uh, The father, Tommy, asks her to spare her son, but take him, Tommy, instead. So she begins to inflict her injuries on him one by one, and he's so tortured by it that he cannot take it. He begs for death. He wants it to stop. So Austin kills his father out of mercy. And this echoes an earlier scene where Tommy, the father, had to kill their family cat, who was also tortured by Jane. Remember I mentioned there was a cat, and now there's not? That's... That's the cat. Back to the cat. Thus, this whole thing where he, Austin, kills his father out of mercy, I think that stops what I believe is a ritual Jane is enacting to free herself of being in this witch body, right? But she doesn't get to finish it because mercy killing. So, of course, Jane goes after the son anyway because she didn't finish her ritual, to my mind, so... Sorry, everybody. This is why it's very important not to interrupt rituals, because once you start a wheel moving, it's just going to keep rolling down that hill no matter what you put in its path. Gotta keep going. Gotta finish what you've started. And soon, probably next episode, we'll probably talk about another film that I really like that's also a scary movie, but has the most accurate portrayal of ritual magic i've ever seen on film and it's also very scary but like heartwarming i don't know we'll talk about it another time but in this case yes she does practice this magic and it's so interesting too because as they're doing this autopsy and it becomes clear that they were treating this woman as a witch it's not 
it's not clear whether she was a witch to begin with, right? It could just be that these, you know, presumably men who were upset that there's this beautiful lady, they could have made her into a witch by doing all of this horrible stuff to her. I mean, maybe she was a witch to begin with, but when I see the kind of power that she has, I kind of feel like she would have escaped. I don't know. There are questions. You can interpret it as you wish. It sounds like there's a lot to interpret in this story, and I I enjoy where we're going with it because yeah, it sounds really dense. It sounds super duper dense. Mm-hmm. And it's also a surprise witch movie. Like obviously, this is all chock full of spoilers. But when the movie was first released, I don't think they put anything in the marketing or promo about this being a witch movie, and so when you watch it and you don't know going in that she's going to have this magical power, you're like, what's happening? How did we get here? What's going on? And the answer is, you know, magic from beyond the Yeah, I vaguely remember the marketing when this movie came out. Because again, I, it wasn't my like interest area, so I didn't pay too close attention. But I definitely don't remember anything supernatural about it. Mm-hmm. So cool that they kind of snuck that in under the wire mm-hmm. all right so let's talk about feminism is mm-hmm. jane doe a feminist in any sort of way i'd say yes both probably in life and in afterlife where she's kind of this vengeful spirit of witchcraft and womanhood it's clear Jean was tortured as a witch in the 1600s in New England. The film explains as much through what Tommy and Austin learn in the autopsy. I'd say her feminism is not in being vengeful undead witch, but in the fact that she represents a resilience of the female spirit in that she just cannot be killed. The men burn the entire coroner's office around her and she is still just fine. Tommy tries to endure her pain and can't. I think there's a strong metaphor here for the strength of women and the amount of brutality they're forced to take for the simple fact that they are women. Strong and, God forbid, beautiful. Yeah, there's a lot there. Remember the fire you were feeling? Mm-hmm. No, I, I absolutely remember that fire feeling. Burning down it, around it, her. The f- it flame, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing, breath, heaving breath. The more you describe it, the more I'm fascinated by this movie and... This this is this is what I love about these conversations because it, it sounds so deeply just layered and interesting and there's so much going on. But at the same time, I'm nauseous just listening. <laughs> to yeah, you. you're never gonna see it. I don't want to expose myself. You to don't. This. It's really not for you. It's got okay. There's a really creepy bit in it that you know they're in a coroner's office, right? And. You know how like in hospitals or places that have long corridors, they have those um, convex mirrors yeah. in the corner? There's definitely a few scares in there where they're oh, like, in no. the dark hallway and there's the mirror where you can see around the corner, but like it's all distorted because it's convex mirror so you can see further down the corner than you would if it was like a regular mirror no no and no no like no, 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 no. Stuff and... no 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 none of that yeah this, this is why i can't watch those paranormal activity movies this is why i can't <laughs> play those five nights at freddy games i don't need that i don't need to know that whatever is just outside my peripheral vision will kill me i don't need that lock your doors keep your lights on don't yeah. let anything sneak up 
behind you. Oh my god, no. None of it. <laughs> Always turn the light on and take a good look into the bathroom before you enter the bathroom. <laughs> Fourth rule of witchiness, is Jane Doe persecuted or misunderstood? Also yes. For two reasons. I don't believe she was a witch before she was tortured and killed. And because she keeps getting shipped to these coroner's offices where they just can't understand who and what she is. The father-son team come up with a ton of theories as to who she was and what she was before they realize that she's a witch. And even then, they don't want to buy into it. It's actually kind of fun to watch them go through it in the beginning where they've got all these theories about her. And if you're into like true crime or like police procedural type stuff, they analyze all of the things that they're finding in the autopsy and they're like okay was there drugs was she in some kind of prostitution ring was there some you know whatever that they kind of go through all of these different options and it just keeps getting stranger and stranger and eventually they have to be like i guess she's a witch i guess all signs point to witch probably not but okay all of the dead bodies are moving, except for hers. Ah. And, and then it's like, because ah. <laughs> he falls off a railing. Yeah, for people listening to the podcast and not watching it, Regina slowly fell out of frame <laughs> for that one. I mean, there's a little bit of jumping to conclusions there, but at the same time, there's a lot of evidence to support those conclusions to be jumped to. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I can't really blame them. All right, so uh, the fifth and final rule of witchiness, is Jane Doe bonded to a sentience larger than herself? Debatable. There's no explicit sentience reference in the film. But I would make the argument for the sentience being the collective unconscious sphere of witches and women that gives her her magical powers after death. There's a fun one. Okay. So by being tied to the sort of universal consciousness, mm -hmm. that's where she draws her power then? Maybe? Well, it's kind of like how in chaos magic, you if you believe hard enough in something, it like becomes the true thing. Oh, the, the secret. Right? Like, You're talking about you, the secret. It's, uh, yes. Yeah, we'll go with the secret. We'll go with the secret. And the secret is the more you're afraid of women, the more power we all collectively have in our magical arsenals. So when we, and by, by, by we, I mean cishet white men like myself. Yes. Fear women. Mm -hmm. We give you the power. Mm -hmm. And we do this, again, I say we, including myself, mm -hmm. because you're genuinely terrifying. Yes. It's not that we are, are resentful or jealous, even though uh, we are, mm -hmm. because let's face it, Y'all badass. Yeah. But you are genuinely terrifying, and that scares the heck out of us. Again, we includes me yes. with all cishet white men. Yeah, I think so. In this case, I would say that the sentience here is this collective unconscious fear that we're feeding into all the time and that we all just need to tap into so that we can do stuff like close the concentration camps that we have in our country and uh, oust the tyrannical governmental systems and forgive all of the student loan debt that exists in the world and maybe install some universal health care. Um, yeah. Just, wow, you know, sure sounds like some female leaders would definitely help. Casual 
Tuesday activities. Well, uh, yeah, I'm thinking specifically of the newly dubbed Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, that uh, the four women that Trump told to go back where they came from. Oh, the squad. The squad, yes. Yeah. They were. Re- I saw in an article that they were referred to as the Four Horsemen, and I was like, you guys know that the four horsemen work for God and are harbingers of bringing God's justice to the world. So, like, technically, they're on your side? They're not the bad guys. No. They're the ones doing the dirty work. Doing the jobs. And I was joking about all that secret stuff. I have never read that book. I only am familiar with it because, you know, every talk show talked about it. Yeah, it was a popular thing for a while. People are still into it. I think it's kind of entitled and weird, but we'll go with it. Definitely. Sure. I mean, it's a helpful metaphor. Yeah. We've now taken a journey into the darkness. Gesture. Imagine a gesture right here. Uh, But Derek, I think you're going to bring us back Towards the light, am I right? Yeah, in multiple senses of the term, in that we will be joyous and uplifted, but also physically projecting manifestations of light to create the the, the visage of my witch. Because today I would like to talk about Jem, the titular hero and lead singer of the band, cartoon, comic book, and regrettable movie, Jem and the Holograms. Gem is excitement. Gem is adventure. Glamour and glitter, fashion and fame. Gem is her name. Shy band manager Jerrica Benton uses a highly advanced hologram projection array designed by her late father to transform into the pop diva known only as Gem to rock out with her sisters, save the foster home that brought them all together, and defend the world from the generally bad attitudes of rival band The Misfits. And this is not the Glenn Danzig Misfits. This is another Misfits, a group of female rockers with Ziggy Stardust hair and makeup that would actually be pretty great if they weren't constantly trying to undercut anybody who dared to claim a sliver of the spotlight away from them. Adventuring around the world with her positive rock and roll message, Jem is truly outrageous. Truly, truly, truly outrageous. So not not the Glenn Danzig misfits. No, but there's a lot of talking about So the Jerry only misfits. Yeah, I mean the Glenn Danzig misfits has a much more positive message to share. The Ziggy Stardust basically misfits are generally, we're so badass, you should fear us. Which is also a great message, but not quite as uplifting. Not not very uplifting, and not lyrically making puns about horror movies. So I am disappointed in them on many levels. As well you should be. Gemma is a character who was adjacent to my interests when I was growing up. I know she was really popular for people who are just slightly older than I am. So I never really got into her, so I'm I'm excited to learn a little bit more about her glitter and fashion and fame. So tell me about the first rule of witchiness. Tell me, does Jem identify as female? Jem is not just definitely female. I would argue that she's definitively female. The cartoon and toy line were designed by Hasbro to be, for young girls, what G.I. Joe was for boys, a massive cross-media icon. The majority of the characters in the story of Jem are rock and roll ladies with badass fashion sense, 
unique personalities, and as the protagonist, Jem herself is a powerful symbol of femininity. She's a leader, an innovator, an entrepreneur, an idol, all in the rebellious form of a cover girl. It was actually when they wanted to make a show for girls that would be the girl equivalent of G.I. Joe, they just asked the same animators and writers, hey, make a show for girls. And it was uh, Chrissy Marks, who had been writing for G.I. Joe at the time, who came up with the idea and basically the whole story bible and created Jim and the Holograms. So it was it was absolutely designed to be the, the girl version of G.I. Joe. That's awesome. And it turned into, I think, more. Yeah, because I, I feel like my memory of G.I. Joe from being on TV are just those PSAs. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. But I remember Jem, I remember Jem being like like a cool there was a story there. There was a narrative there that you could follow. And also she had a great look. That was excellent. I'm really interested in uh learning about the second rule of witchiness, but before we move on to that. Oh, uh, well do you do you remember Casingles? No, I've never heard of this thing. Okay. Um you're familiar with the CD single? It was a CD that just had like two yeah, tracks yeah, yeah. on it, basically. Because singles were the same thing. It was a cassette tape that had only like five minutes on each side. And so you had an A side and a B sure. side. And so like the G.I. Joe figures, when you bought them, they each came with like a gun or like a piece of a tank or whatever. But the gem dolls, every single one of them came with a unique single. <gasps> so when you bought one character, you got two songs on a tape that you would play in your boombox at home. And so for each character, you got two new songs to rock out to. It was great. That's... It was so good for, like, if you had one of those boomboxes that had the two decks, you could, like, make your own, like, full gem LP. That's amazing! Oh, man, cassette tapes. I was thinking about cassette tapes recently. I don't know why. But that's awesome. So Because they were magic. They literally recorded music with magnets. How does that work? Yeah, it was magnets. I, I don't know how magnets work. Yeah, I had a narrative question about Jem. Was there ever any love interest plotline for this? I, I asked this specifically because often these female marketed storylines have very strong romantic plotlines. And you know, I love myself a romance but i'm interested for this demographic if they decided to go for uh, like a romance or if they just stuck with the rival misfits yeah so there is a sort of romance story that that is introduced at the very beginning of the cartoon and a little bit later in the comic book but um there is a journalist named Rio who is most notable for having purple hair and no personality at all. He uh, is basically the one who introduces the integral plot device of the Battle of the Bands between the Holograms and the Misfits. He is the one who like keeps interviewing Gem and the Holograms and keeping them relevant in pop culture. The misfits are upset because they want his attention for media, not for romance. He is interested in Jerrica as a romantic partner, but not Jem. That is confusing. Yeah, so Jerrica has a dual personality where when she puts on this visage, she is the front woman of a band. When she takes it off, she is the manager of the band. 
And so as manager, she maintains a relationship with Ryo. As front woman, Ryo kind of wants nothing to do with her. Or at least that's how it is in the comic, which I find much more interesting. In the comic that came out a few years ago, he was dating Jerrica and had no interest in Jim. He was like, why are you all like led by this lead singer who I never actually talked to? Is she just abusing you guys as a band? <laughs> and Jerrica's like, it's fine, don't worry Weird. about it. Weird. Weird double life. But all right, Jim, you do you. Let's talk about the second rule of witchiness. Does Jem practice magic? And if so, how? So it's been a while since we referenced it on the podcast. I know we did a lot early on. But Arthur C. Clarke's third law was any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And that definitely applies to Jem. The rock star that everybody sees as Jem is actually a highly advanced hologram projected over Jerrica Benton, the manager and true singer of the band. Ironically named the holograms when the rest of the band are are not actually holograms. By virtue of being an advanced light projection, Jem can do things that defy the laws of physics, like fly, change her clothes and hair instantaneously, or summon pyrotechnics and illusions. In Dungeons and Dragons terms, she's basically a bard with prestidigitation and extremely high charisma modifiers. Wow, that is the build for my next D&D character, done and done. Just gonna go ahead and make myself Jem. So because she's made of light, she can fly. She's not actually made of light. She's got a projection over top of her that makes her able to defy physics. Except because she's a projection, she doesn't really need Jerrica to be there. So Jerrica could be just backstage singing, <gasps> and they see a projection of Jem on stage flying around. So Got they might it. work out a stage show in advance and if they need Jem to do something that Jerrica physically can't do, Jerrica will just walk off stage and let Jem do the thing. But Jem is not like a separate consciousness. Jem is li- no, 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 like no. a D&D character. Yeah, Jem Jem is just Jerrica with a mask on basically. Jem <sighs> is not separate from Jerrica. They're the same person. They're the same person. And yeah, a lot of drama comes huh. out of like well, why do you act this way when you're Jem, but not Jericho? We, as the band, know you're just one person. Why do you suddenly feel comfortable treating us a certain way when you have this mask on? We all know it's just you. Yeah, that seems like a recipe for high drama when you're playing Dungeons & Dragons and everybody else is playing their instruments. Yeah, so there's a lot of inherent fun interpersonal drama to be had there. I, I highly recommend reading the comic book that came out a few years ago because it, it digs into this stuff in a way that the, the cartoon never really had time for. And it's, it's super fun. I highly recommend it. Let's talk about the third rule of witchiness. Is Jem a feminist? And if so, how? Uh, yeah, so Jem and the Holograms, both as a series and as a franchise, is extremely feminist. The main focus of the story is the ongoing feud between two all-female rock bands. But even when the two groups are hating on each other, they do a lot to build up their own ranks with the bonds of sisterhood and feminine power. The men in the story tend to attempt to exert their own sense of power as label executives or journalists or whatever, 
But both the holograms and the misfits make it consistently clear that they're just going to rock out on their own terms, and the men have just got to deal with it. Jem herself is the personification of feminine confidence and power, as she's just a construct Jerrica uses to mask her own insecurities. By literally projecting the self she wants to be, Jerrica is able to accomplish all the goals that the man has been telling her her whole life she could never achieve. I love this point because I feel like it comes back to Jane Doe a little bit in so much that she believes herself into existence, just like the collective unconsciousness of female fear and, you know, power lends Jane Doe her magic. And I think that there are external men who are trying to get in the way and stop it, but by using that power, she just sort of steamrolls them and says, well, no, I'm just going to keep doing this. And I feel like this is a point that I make all the time when I talk about witches and feminism, because I do it all the time, not just when we're on the podcast, which is to say that the symbol of the witch is one, if not the only archetypal character that women get assigned to that has power unto herself. And I think that's what's so incredible about witches is this idea that their power comes from them. It's not because of their relationship to another person or specifically to a man. And so there's something both great and terrible about that symbol of a witch because she can do her own stuff. Sorry, man. I've got magic now. That totally works. I love but it. as we always discuss with these witches, they are often, if not always, persecuted and misunderstood. It's the fourth rule. Tell me how Jem is persecuted or misunderstood. Yeah, so by virtue of being a constructed persona, Jem is definitely misunderstood in that most of the world thinks she actually is this confident supermodel rock star and not meek, diminutive, and clever Jerrica Benton. Only her sisters know the truth, which continues to speak to the bond of their sisterhood, that she trusts them with her secrets and they trust her to keep them together as a family and as a band. As far as persecution, well, yeah, the misfits and their manager and goons are constantly looking to take Jem out because they see her as a threat because they just can't stand to see anyone else get any attention. Mm. They have this whole mindset that there's only so much fame to go around and they want all, all of, of the fame points. All of I it. win at fame. Yeah. There's no room for anybody else. And so there's is there ever a plot point where her sisters leak her true uh, identity. She's kind of like a superhero a little bit. She does have that sort of identity issue. There's not really a point where the sisters leak the information, but they do at one point introduce a new band member, and there's some concern about not letting her know the secret because she's not family, and therefore they don't know if mm. they can trust her. But she does manage to stumble upon it by herself and prove to them, I'm part of this family now, and I'm I'm worthy of trust because I haven't leaked right, it yet, and right. I've known for this long. Wow, that's really interesting. And it's super fun, too, this idea that this family is so close-knit, and they love each other and protect each other. I mean, we're accidentally in Regina's therapy corner again, but... Family can be something that's like really fraught, you know, and it might not be a place where you necessarily trust everybody to have your back and know your truth and take care of you for real. 
And I feel like that's another like really fun fantasy of this kind of story is like, oh, all of these people and they're all going to take care of you and everybody together. Yay. Yeah. And, and I, I want to point out very quickly because I've been sort of nonchalant about this so far, but I, they use the term sister very, they, they mean it as family. But when you're watching the cartoon or reading the comic book, you may ask yourself, well, how are they sisters? Because this is a clearly multicultural group of girls who are all roughly the same age. That's because they all grew up in the same foster home. So they they view themselves as family, regardless of whether it's biological or not. They are sisters by virtue of choice and by virtue of circumstance. That's beautiful. At no point did they ever say, like, well, you're not my real sister. They are sisters. Yeah, that's awesome. So they're connected to each other. But the final rule of witchiness is that the witch be bonded to a sentience larger than herself. How is Jem bonded to a sentience, if at all? Yeah, so Jem as a construct is powered by Synergy, capital S, Synergy, the ridiculously advanced artificial intelligence system designed by Jerrica's late father, Emmett Benton, and entrusted to Jerrica. Intended to be simply the most baller stage show ever, able to communicate with the band and project whatever special effects they wanted for the show, Synergy is kept a secret because such realistic and convincing light projections connected to an artificial intelligence could easily be abused by military applications. So Jerrica and her sisters keep Synergy hidden from the world. They see Synergy as a mother figure, largely because the appearance is based on Emmett's wife, the late Jackie Benton. Synergy assists and guides the holograms through their careers and through their personal lives, all while putting together cutting-edge music videos to promote the band and creating unprecedented stage shows to make the holograms the band of their wildest dreams. Aww, it's... It's a magical stage mom. Yeah, basically. Wow, that's sweet. The only problem is Synergy can't like feed them. She might be like, "Oh, Kimber, do you need a do you need a banana? Go get one. Go get a banana. I can't, give it to you. I can't get go it get a banana. Drink some water because you're dehydrated. That goes for yes, all. Yes, I don't you. need to drink water because I'm a computer. But I, <laughs> I understand that it's important as humans that you drink water. I encourage this behavior. Don't forget to be in bed by 11. Yes. I love you. I'm a computer. Beep, beep, boop, boop. Beep, beep, boop, boop. But yeah, can you imagine if the military had crazy realistic holograms and just like put them out in the world? It'd be chaos. In this, the darkest of all timelines, I feel like we shouldn't think too hard about it lest we accidentally summon it into existence. I mean, we already have deep fakes, which aren't that far off. That's true. You know. Right now, the deep fakes are being used mostly for porn, no? Everything is used for porn first. I mean, that's why VHS won over beta. I did know this. All new technology will always start in pornography and then work its way to everything else. To everything else. Exactly, yes. So basically what you're saying is that the deep fake pornography is the first step to synergy being developed and then super realistic convincing light projections that will have military applications i'm saying unfortunately deep fake isn't the first step to that deep fake is like the seventh step to that we've been building our way to it synergy will happen trust me i feel like this is the time where you uh cut in the uh skynet this is like when skynet comes in yeah we're all just a simulacrum 
none of this is real. Yeah, that's another chaos magic thing. Oh, we were talking about light. Anyway, so we, we, we tried to go stuff. light. We brought it. We tried to go light we and we got down. really dark. We brought it down. Yeah. All right. So we, we need to equalize, equalize somehow. We've got a lot of dark. We've got a lot of light. We found light in the dark. We found dark in the light. Yes. Let's talk about our covens. Yes, please. If you could only have one, yes. Jane Doe or Jem, in your coven, which one would it be and why? I feel like I know your answer, but let's hear it. I, you know what? I'm going with Jane. Ooh. I'm going with Jane. I mean, she's creepy and she's dead, neither of which are a problem for me. But I feel like, I feel like she's got intense magical powers. She's got a mission and a vendetta. And I was recently sexually harassed by our mailman. And I'm all about the female vengeance at this point because apparently there's nothing that I can do about the fact that I was harassed by our mailman and he's going to continue to be our mailman. And if Jane was in my coven, I could just be like, hey, hey Jane, you know those very realistic, very upsetting uh, visions that you do, you just send six or seven over to Bob the mailman, and she'd be like, "Got you." Yeah, I'm vengeance. I'm so sorry that you had to deal with that, but I, I personally appreciated that you put that very detailed Instagram story up of it, so I could see it as it happened. And I believe I sent you just a flurry of angry emojis <laughs> afterwards because I I couldn't find the words. I was much anger. I just wanted to translate through cute cartoon pictures how infuriated I was that you had to put up with this. Happens all the time. It'll continue to happen yeah. unless dead witch ladies rise up and enact their vengeance. Well, you make a compelling case for dead witch ladies. I'm still going to say Jem should join my coven. <laughs> How did I know? If only because she's truly outrageous. And that's the only reason truly, I need. Truly, truly, truly outrageous. That's the only reason I need. Moving on. All right. So we know who, who we, we know who we have on our covens. We've got some dark. We've got some light. Where can we go to hang out together and, and seek a little balance and maybe a cocktail? We need a dark place with some controlled light where you can keep them together and appreciate both. I think we need to head down to the Cauldron Cabaret. Oh yeah, some nice mood lighting will help to balance the light and dark in there. All right, so my, my first question, um, how does Jane Doe hang out <laughs> in the Cauldron Cabaret? Because she's dead. She's, she's dead. She's dead the whole time. She's dead so the whole time. Does she, she even hang out? Dead. You know what, I don't think she does. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. I don't think, okay, there are two options here that I see. Option one is she, her her corpse just is somewhere <laughs> in the cabaret. Okay. Just somewhere. Nobody actually knows where. It's just somewhere. Um, or option two is, you know, I'm hosting bringing her to the cabaret and I feel like it would be a skit that you would see out of what we do in the shadows where she's got like a very gothic looking coffin that I just like wheel in on a dolly. Okay. For um, both ease of transport and comedic effect. I don't know. That is so much better than what I was worried about, which was that this was going <laughs> to be a weekend at Bernie's scenario. 
<laughs> where we have like Bev Morda and Maleficent walking around with like one of Jane Doe's arms over each of their shoulders, oh, no. walking around like, oh yeah, she had too much to drink, but she's fine. Don't worry about her. And just no. like she's just flopping around the whole time. That would be no. a lot worse. I like your idea. No, better. no, no. Yeah, two options: uh, comedic relief, coffin on a dolly, or just the the corpse exists somewhere, and maybe it's like kind of one of those like party game slash like initiation hazing kind of things where like you show up the first time at the cabaret and like oh have you met jane and then you know you go to open up the coat check and there she is very spooky whereas with gem i mean let's just think about what kind of musical witches we already have in here because you got the sandersons right off the bat so many the sandersons have that number Mm -hmm. one hit jam so just like pop it up a little bit just add add some some bruno mars flair to that and get jam we have so many musical witches though you got you got gwen stacy on the drums you got gwen stacy on the drums you got kim and kim you got kim and kim yeah um, Ruby and Sapphire sing, don't they? Ruby and Sapphire definitely do sing. Uh, oh, Lilu. Yeah, Lilu? get a duet between Lilu and Jem. That'd be Ameth- great. Does Amethyst sing? Um, no, not really. No. She's just kind of who a warrior other- princess. Emily Astor. That's who Emily Astor is not so much a rocker as like a tastemaker. She, she's a, the wallflower who judges everything. Got it. So she's going to judge harsh on Jem's performance. Well, she's going to praise Jem's fashion sense to the crowd, but Emily won't actually do anything herself. She does not participate in the rocking. Still, that's that's a lot. We have a full band and stage show happening. We definitely do have a solid rocking crew. I know she doesn't, but part of me wants to say Usagi can rock out too. Well, she has that episode where she tries to be an idol and then she she sings very poorly. Yeah, that doesn't happen at all. No. No. That's no. a bummer. That is a bummer. But you know, we've got we've got the corpse of Jane just like somewhere in the cabaret. Mm-hmm. Just being unsettling. And I feel like Ghost, is Ghost Rider dead? Um, She's a skeleton. That's debatable. That's She's debatable. She's a flaming skeleton. I feel like they might have things in common, like having been on fire. Yeah. And I probably also feel like being dead. You have enough sort of queens of the underworld here that the dead body is just like nothing to them. Because you've got Madeline Pryor, the goblin queen. Yes. Um, <gasps> Madeline Pryor. I feel like like do a thing to make it so that Jane can, you know, figure herself out and not be like vengeful undead if she doesn't want to be. Yeah. Plus, you've got Ilyana Rasputin, the dark child from X-Men. She's definitely got an underworld thing going on. Um, Zatanna has plenty of experience with the undead. Maleficent probably has the same. Do Um, you think we need to form another support group? No, Phaedra's alive. She okay. doesn't really go to the underworld, but I feel like we need another support group like um, I'm dead or all my friends are. Been there, dead that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that could happen. Yeah. They can meet on like alternate Thursdays from the um, the significant man in my life as a chosen one now what? I wonder if there's any overlap between those two. Are there any like undead, but 
best friends with an unqualified male savior. Because mm. I know I know Zatanna has like one foot in each, but she's not really not really. Yeah. I mean, Ghost Rider only counts if you consider the other Ghost Riders as being chosen ones. Also, I'm not sure Alejandro actually counts as dead. She's just a spirit of vengeance. Right. She's definitely connected to the world of the dead, but I feel like she's still kind of alive. It's complicated. It's complicated. The important thing is we've got rock and roll <laughs> happening. Rock and roll is happening. And nobody is made uncomfortable by the presence of a dead body. Not a soul. Okay, so I think that about wraps things up for this episode. Now that you've heard what we have to say, what do you think? Who would you invite into your coven? Let us know at witchwitchcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at witchwitchcast. That's W-H-I-C-H-W-I-T-C-H-C-A-S-T. Don't anger the Elder Gods. Subscribe to Witch Witch's Witch on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever your pods may be cast. It's all over the place. You can just go to your, go to your pod device and type it in. Until then, remember, we didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. It's hard being dead. dead.